The Cal Halbert Podcast. Hello, everybody. Thank you for downloading and listening to this episode of the Cal Halbert Podcast. My guest this week is Lauren Patterson. Lauren's a stand-up comedian and a very, very lovely lady as well. I hope you enjoy this podcast. Halfway through, we had a little bit of uh, an audio glitch. So it goes a, a little bit. Well, I mean, we're audio interviewing over Zoom, and it sounds like it's on Zoom, if you get what I mean. Yeah? Anyway, right. But it's still a good interview, and I hope you really, really enjoy it. So here we go. <laughs> The Cal Halbert Podcast. So I'm very pleased to say that on the show today, the Cal Halbert Podcast, I have got the one, the only, Lauren Patterson. Hello, Lauren. Hello. Hi. How are things? You all good? I'm very good, thank you. How are you? I'm all right, yeah. I'm all right. I'm very bored at the moment. There's not a lot to do, is there? But uh... I had a week off work last week and I was like, oh my God, a whole week where I don't have to go to work. And then I was like, but there's nothing else to do other than go to work. I'm talking about work. (laughs) Yeah, it is difficult, isn't it? Because I do just sit around twiddling my thumbs. And I've said this to nearly every guest I've had on, that the first lockdown was class. Like It was good. good. Sitting in the garden with a book, like enjoying the sun. And I remember everybody first lockdown was saying to me, hey, it's a good job we're locked down in the summer, isn't it? Because this would be unbearable in the winter. Uh, You were right. (laughs) (laughs) Ta-da! Oh, yeah, it's unbearable. So thank you very much indeed for coming on to the podcast. Uh, The listeners will best know you as a stand-up comic. Uh, You were the best newcomer. Uh, You were nominated for Best Newcomer in 2017 for your show Lady Muck. Tell me a little bit about that. Um, so yeah, so I went up with my debut and I'd sort of just moved to London like that. Yeah, so I'd been living in London, like coming up to a year and I was getting so bored. Like I love being a circuit comedian. I think some people use that as a bit of a derogatory term, like, oh, you're a club comic. And I'm like, but that's where I learned how to be a comedian. And that's where I build my own. Like I love doing the clubs. And I love being a club comic, but I also felt like sometimes when you're a club comic, the people on um, the, the next step above don't pay you any fucking attention. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Felt like I was doing so well in the clubs and I was progressing in the clubs, but like in the clubs. <laughs> but I couldn't, um, I couldn't seem to get like, I hate the word, the industry, but I couldn't seem to get the industry to pay attention to it. And I thought, right, I'm going to write the best show I can. And like, I really wanted to show like the industry what I can do. And if they don't pay attention, it just proves that it's all a bit like fickle and stuff. But <laughs> if they don't pay attention to it, then whatever, at least I wrote a really good show and I can do whatever I want off the back of that. And um, turned out I, I did manage to get the industry's attention. <laughs> and I think also a lot of bemused comics who maybe didn't, like comics who I'd maybe met in London who hadn't really seen me like graph the clubs like I had up north. And they were like, where the hell has she come from? I was like, <laughs> I've been here the whole time. But yeah, I sometimes think as well, like when you do sort of like those club weekend gigs, obviously they're great, but you get maximum 20 minutes really, don't you? Yeah. And then suddenly I found that I had an hour and I was like, daunted by that at first but then I realized my style of comedy and the style of comedy I like doing lent itself so much better to an hour because I like telling stories and being a bit more of a storyteller and bringing sort of that world to life and I was kind of doing that in my 20s but once I had the hour I was like I've got so much more time to be the comic I want to be and I think that's maybe why people were like whoa I didn't like I didn't know she could do that and I was like because you've never given me the chance to do I've never had an hour to show you what I can do before I think like the year before that the August before I'd been in the total student final and the yeah. BB comedy finals they were both obviously like five minute sets 
Mark Watson hosted both of those and he came to see my show, the, the Lady Muck. Wow. And, and he was like, I just cannot believe you've gone from doing those five minute sets a year ago to this show. And I was like, well, one, it's hard work. I have worked bloody hard. I was like, but two, I think I've always had that ability. And it's just, I hadn't had the chance to do it before. And so I think that's why when some people are like, oh, no, I could never do an hour. I'm like, just try just try. Yeah, just write one. Just write one. You and like it's funny, isn't it? Because a lot of people will go with their first hour and they just chuck every single bit of club set that they've got and they mash it together. There's there's no narrative to the show at all. So it's very very rare to go with a brand new show that is a written show. Yeah, definitely. So the way that ma- the, the club comedy stuff came in hand massively because I'd um, written this show like this narrative show and I knew all along I wanted to because that's the shows I liked watching in Edinburgh. I love the shows. Yeah. Where in and this kind of story unfolded over an hour so I knew that's what I wanted to do I remember um I think it was either my agent or somebody had like seen a preview of the show and they were like you know the narrative is there the story is there but it's missing something it's missing like an introduction to you it's missing like those bits about you and I was like oh well why don't I just put some of my club set in because you know the stuff I was doing on the like at the time was like about me and about um like day jobs I'd worked and moving to London and my family and I was like all that stuff is the kind of stuff that other comics would usually make their whole debut about yeah of course and I already had the story and I was like all right then so I think I sort of ended up the first say 15 20 minutes of me show was probably quite like clubby bits and mm-hmm. um, it's first with like the narrative and then the sort of a whole last chunk of it was more like narrative based with jokes of course <laughs> but um, I remember just sitting there being like what what does she mean like I need to put more me in there and it needs to be more about me and, and then I was like oh my, my club stuff so that's where the clubs came in handy because I had all these bits that I'd worked on and were polished and were ready to just go in there and it essentially gave my show a really strong start it like gave that introduction to me and it then let us sort of going to the stuff I wanted to do which was not that I didn't want to do that but you know what I mean yeah yeah absolutely because for, for people that don't understand that the timings of, of comics you tend to go from your five minutes then you build up to your 10 then you get a 15 and most people hover around the 15 to 20 mark for quite a while and then once they hit their 20 it's like a perfect polished club 20 set that's 20 25 and then hour is your big one and once you've done a whole month of doing an hour it's really difficult to go back down again isn't it oh absolutely and even like when you've sort of worked your way up the ranks of getting to the doing that 20 and then maybe you'll get something say like there'll be like a mixed bill show in edinburgh and they'll be like but it's only a five and you think a five i haven't done a five and and like it's a weird position to be in because you think to even say like three or four years before that when like a five would have seemed like so much time on stage and it, almost like baffling in a way that five minutes goes from being forever to being like a blink of an eye and you think god I can't do anything in five minutes like I can't five minutes is nothing whereas like seven years ago I would have been like five minutes is plenty thank you that's all (laughs) (laughs) had you always wanted to be a stand-up growing up nah so I used to want to be a writer when I was like really little I loved writing stories I suppose like you can see where the crossover is. I love telling yeah. stories. I love writing stories. I thought I would maybe be an author. Um, and then kind of liked drama, but I, I was dead shy as a kid. So I'd never, mm-hmm. done it. I'd never done any performing. 
And then I remember going to secondary school and that's the kind of thing when like the school plays happen and you could audition for the school plays every year. And I don't think we had a drama group at school, but like once you got to the year 10, you could pick drama. No, I always knew from like day one, I was like, oh, I can't wait to be in the year 10 and choose to do drama. Yeah. And then I did like a drama group outside of school. And then I started, I don't think I necessarily wanted to be an actor at this point, but I, I knew I liked performing and I liked being on stage. Um, and then through the drama group, I got the chance to do comedy when I was like 15. And I thought, oh, this is so much fun. Like, I love doing this. And I remember like sort of doing some things with me little youth theatre. And then a couple of years later, I started to have a go at it properly. Like once I turned 18, I was like, I'm going to try this comedy thing. But even then, I didn't know you could do it as a job. Because in yeah. my head, there was the comedians on TV and they seemed like an entirely different, because obviously at that point, I'd never met a TV comic whereas once you actually start doing comedy you meet tv comics quite regularly and you realize yeah. at the end of the day when they need somewhere to come and try material it's the comedy clubs that they started to come to um and so I was like I just didn't realize that it was a job I thought the people who were doing it, it like comedy clubs I thought they were all people who had other jobs as well and it was like a hobby and then there was this like upper league of like tv comics and I just didn't even know how you made the jump from that to that it seemed so undoable and I think it was I can't remember who it was, but it was someone at Stan Newcastle. I was maybe doing like a Red Raw or weekend there. And they were like, you do know you're good at this. And I was like, oh, well, I like doing it. I think I'm all right. And they were like, no, you know, you're good enough to like do this professionally. Like you you could absolutely do this as a career. And I was like, wait, this is a career. And <laughs> I, I just couldn't like fathom in my little brain. That's something I genuinely loved doing was something that could also be a job. Because to me at the time, I assumed the only people who were doing it as a job were the ones on telly. Mm. I didn't realize there was this whole circuit of comedy underneath of people who make a living doing the clubs and stuff and doing their own shows just I hadn't made that connection and once I realized I was like oh well why wouldn't I want to do this like this is brilliant yeah it is a tough job isn't it working all the club like the club circuit and stuff like that but it's also um, a very male dominated industry in general in that it's just there's just loads of <laughs> yeah. loads of men working the circuit rather than women and you must have had this so, so much where people come up to you and go, mm, I don't normally find women funny, but but you were very oh. good. You were very, very it's good. Like, and as well, I think people assume it's going to be men who say things like that. And don't get us wrong. Like from my experience, a lot of the people who come up to you and say, oh, I don't need to find women funny or other women. And I find that so like sad in a way. I'm like, because when I think of the funniest people I know, or the, not sorry, the funniest people, but the most fun I have and the biggest laughs I have with my girlfriends yeah with me like my best friend I laugh so much with her so I always find it baffling when a woman will say like oh I don't usually find other women funny I'm like well, you must have shit mates like <laughs> Jesus if your girl mates don't make you belly laugh till it hurts like what a sad life that must be and like it's uh, not that it's a better or worse when it comes but I always find it slightly more like disappointing when it comes from a woman I'm like oh come on like and as well even if that's what you think you don't have to say it like I've had it before I've literally been stood next to say the only other female act on the bill and someone man or woman will have come up to us and gone oh I don't need to find women funny but you were great and I'm like she's right there and yes in your head you're like I've done a lovely thing and I've complimented the stand-up I like but you've also insulted the other stand-up without realizing it's even worse when that other comic stood right there and they're like 
cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, is that like old school working class thing, is it? Like the working men's club. They go, well, this next act is a woman, but give her a chance. You know, it's <laughs> it's just such an old fashioned thing to think. It's like when people say, oh, there's no sexism in comedy and we've come a long way. It's like, don't get us wrong. I think things are a lot better, but I still think my prime example is if you look on the clips online of a male stand-up versus a female stand-up, I think on clips of like men doing comedy, don't get us wrong, there's always going to be shit comments. It's the internet. But like, I always find on like a, if I look at a woman's, a female comics clip, I tend to come across negative comments far quicker. And they'll always, and like say if I, someone doesn't like a man doing comedy, they would probably comment in like shit, not funny, was this supposed to be funny, whatever, all your standard basic insults. But on a woman's clip, it'd be, see women aren't funny. And I'm like, so how come a man doing bad is just like, oh, he's not funny. But if it's a woman who you don't think is funny, that means all women aren't funny. One of my favourite all-time anti-female comic lines is, get back in the kitchen, love. Oh, oh God, It's yeah. genius, that line. <laughs> exactly. I'm just like, it's so, it's lazy. I'm like, if you want to insult us, at least try a bit harder. Like, come on, at least put some effort into it. But, yeah, like... I, I do think things are getting better, but let's say, I feel like if a man, even not even just in terms of like online clips, if you go to a comedy club and a man's shit, you would probably think he was shit, but you wouldn't then think any time a man came on stage the rest of the night, you wouldn't go, well, he's going to be shit because that other one was shit. You wouldn't, but I feel like if you're a girl or woman, like you get held to such a higher standard. And if someone doesn't like you or if you have a bad gig, that's then representative of all women. And it's like, well, it's not. I remember someone once commented on it. This is back when I used to read comments. And she was like, um, it was a woman, um, of course. And she was like, oh, I don't find women funny. And I think I actually replied to it because I was quite like, young at the time. And I was like, oh, um, I'm really sad to hear you say this. I completely appreciate you might not find me funny. And then I sent her a list of like so many female comics, like from top tier TV ones to more up and coming ones. And I was like, but maybe you'll find at least one of these funny because I promise you women are funny. And then she replied, well, the thing is, I don't actually like female comedians at all. And I thought, well, there you go. It's not that you don't think women are funny. It's that you've got this like ingrained, or that not that, I mean, not that she didn't think I was funny. She's just got this idea in her head straight away. She doesn't like female comics. So she's never going to like one. She's never, no one's ever going to please her. Would you ever use the term comedian? Because it, it, to me, it's just a, it's just a weird. I wanted to ask you this because, to me, it's such a weird phrase, and that nobody, <laughs> nobody uses it. It's just comic or comedian, and I just think comedian is just a bit. I, I don't think it matters, does it? No, I hate it. I find it quite like a patronising term, and I don't know why. Like, because I'm not one of these who you know how some people are like, oh, it's sexist to say darling or babe. Don't mind, don't mind that. Don't mind going being called pet and flower. I like terms of affection. I like those kind of terms. But there's something about comedian. To me, it just, it sounds a bit like, it even sounds a bit more flowery, doesn't it? And a bit softer, like comedian sounds like, boom, this is what I am. But comedian just has that like daintier feel to it. Like, oh no, that's not a comedian, that's a comedian. Like, no. And I, oh, I just find it really like a condescending term. Like, it's like, you can understand with things sort of like actor and actress. I don't, I would use actress like, I wouldn't be as offended. No, I wouldn't be offended at all if someone called us an actress. But I think that's because in acting there are male and female roles. If you know what I mean. So like you would be if you're auditioning for a part, it's like you would be auditioning for a different part to a man. So I can kind of understand the slight that you are an actor and you are an actress. But with comedy, 
it's all on the same playing field. So why do we need two separate like terms for it? That's what I find. Because I have had it before, like very bad open mic gigs in London where the comp air will be very inexperienced and just very bad acts. And they'll be like, next act is um, we've got a woman for you. Yeah. As if the crowd are going to be like, a woman for me? Oh, such a treat. And I'm like, why do you even have to like preface it with the next act is a woman? Like, I can understand if it's like, say if you've been straight, not straight as in like sexuality straight, but just stand up, stand ups all night and then say a musical comedian was coming on. I can understand the compare being like, now we've got something a bit different and we've got a bit of musical comedy because that lets the audience know what they're about to see is different to what they've seen before. But like, and this is the argument I have so many times, like woman isn't a genre yeah. of comedy. <laughs> like, <laughs> so don't get why the audience needs to be prepared that the next act is maybe going to have tits. <laughs> Tell me a bit about you were the, the warm up and the tour support for Catherine Ryan. So d- tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, I did funny women competition, which um ironically I know I've just been talking about women isn't a genre, but and I know that competition has like angered people before, like imagine if there was a competition just for men. And I'm like, but the whole point of that competition is there are less women in comedy. And to say if you went to like a standard comedy competition and say there's like five men for every woman, then of course by statistics, there's probably gonna be less women get to the final so maybe out of I know I've done a lot of comedy competition finals and I might be the only woman or one of two women on say 10 finalists or something so the whole point of funny women is to just open it up for women and to give them more of a not more of a chance because that makes it seem like well, you couldn't do it without us but just a, a bigger platform like because all these well the women who get to the finals have got the finals off their own merit they're not like shit acts who've just been handed like a token for being a woman it's just about like, yeah. oh, these voices are perhaps still a little bit underrepresented in comedy or maybe still a bit sceptical about, oh, well, I don't want to enter this because it'll just be like dominated by men and I won't stand a chance. So the whole point is just about giving you a platform for your voice to be heard. So I entered that um, and got to the finals. Amazing. And Ryan hosted it. So she was like, she was big then. She was known, but she was nowhere like the sort of stratospheric level she is now. And mm-hmm. um, she hosted it and I came, I think, third in that. Wow. And then it was about seven or eight months later, I was at uni and she'd um, sent me a message on Twitter and she was like, I'm just wondering how much um, material you've got. And I was like, oh, why? And she went, oh, well, I need somebody to open for me in, um, I think it was Carlisle or Cumbria or something like that. Um, somewhere like that and she was like yeah and I know um, that that's not a million miles from you and I wondered if you'd want to do it and I was like yeah <laughs> absolutely yeah I was like how much time do I need to do and she was like about 20 25 I'd done a 15 once at this point like I'd worked my way up in the five and tens and I was just breaking into the 15 so I remember thinking oh god because like there was no way I could have just gone on and done 15 because she would have been like you haven't done enough time and I was really panicking but I thought well if I say no it's going to someone else and I might never get this chance again so I remember my dad like drove us because I didn't drive. And I did um, my 15, but slower. And that's the moment I realised that my 15 was definitely actually a 20. And I was like, oh. <laughs> but like when I first started, I would speak like this and I was so fast and I would rattle through the jokes, bang, bang, bang. And I think it was a mixture of being a northeast speaker who talks quite fast anyway and being nervous. I just slowed it down and I was like, oh my God, I've got a fucking 20. Um, and she watched from the side with my dad and afterwards, she was like, oh, I'm in Middlesbrough in a couple of weeks. And I don't think I've got a support for that night. Do you want to do that as well? So I said, yes, Middlesbrough. And that was amazing. And then I think it was the summer I was doing Latitude Festival. 
um, as part of like, I didn't add the total comedy competition, total students. And when you get in the final, you get to perform at Lattery Festival. And I spotted her like around like the backstage bit. So I was like, hello, hiya, Catherine. And um, had a bit of chat with her. And she was like, oh, I'm going on tour again in the autumn. We'll have to get you booked in for some dates. And I was like, oh my God, yes. So then the autumn tour I rolled around and I got, because I'd only done two on the last one. And then at the autumn one, I got like quite, not like loads of dates, but like definitely way more than I'd had before. So yeah, I got like eight to a dates or something. And I was like, well, that's a big jump from doing like two. And then her next tour again, I got like, say another half a dozen, seven or eight dates. So I did that one. And so I ended up doing support on like three tours for her. And she's just such a, I know how they say never meet your heroes. I remember thinking like, oh, what if she's not nice? Like, what if she's not nice? And then this, because at the time as well, I hadn't met many like famous comics, like, you know, like of her level. I thought, oh God, like I really look up to her and I really like her. Imagine if she's not nice and she's lovely. She's absolutely lovely, like so genuine. Um, just really like what I like as well is because my parents are big supporters of my comedy and they often come to stuff I do. Yeah. So my dad was at that very first one with um like that I did for Catherine and she was really nice to him as well. She like gave him the time of day and I always judge comics and not even comics, but just like industry people on how they treat my parents as well. To me, if they ignore them and act like they're not there, I'm like rude. Um, but when comics make the effort to like talk to them and just check that they're all right and stuff, it really means the world. And she was like, so good with me dad and he was probably irritating so that's why like <laughs> fangirling in the corner You're like, oh god dad no don't <laughs> you appreciate it all the more when people are nice to your dad because i'm like well they probably are doing everyone's head in by being like you hello you're off mock the week like <laughs> the other one who was really nice i did them um, live at the comedy store for the telly it was my first bit of telly and i can't remember if ian Sterling, no, I don't think Ian Sterling hosted my episode, but Ian Sterling was on my filming day. And I was like, yeah, Ian Sterling. And my mum was like, okay. And they are so good, my parents. Like, I, I, I was only kidding when I said they're probably annoying. They're not that kind of like, oh, you are in this, you are in this. They're very, they just treat the comics like the people they are, which is what I really like. There's nothing worse than when you bring a friend and the sort of proper, like say, a fangirl. And my mum, bless her, was being so sweet. She was like, oh, I'd love to go talk to Ian. I'd love to say hello to Ian. And I was like, well, I'll introduce you, but she obviously didn't want to go storming over at him and being like, hi, I'm Lauren's mum, because she didn't want to embarrass us. So he was at the bar after getting a drink and I went and tapped him on the shoulder and I went, would you mind coming and saying hello to me mum? Like, she'd really like to say hello to you. And he was like, oh, absolutely, of course, not a problem. He gets his drinks, he comes over, like says hello to her, has a little bit of chat. And I thought, you know what, like, someone at his level didn't have to do that. He could have been like, no, Lauren, I've just filmed a bit telly, I want to get this with my mates, but come over and just spent a couple of minutes with my mum and she was so chuffed and for all people like like to slag off comics and telly comics like most comics are good fucking people at heart like definitely <laughs> i know you mentioned earlier that you never thought that being a comedian was a job or, or a career path that you could do but did you mm-hmm. ever imagine that doing stand-up could take you all over the world you performed in canada never. and australia and new zealand and all these sort of places did you ever think that could happen absolutely never like I never really got to do any like traveling and girls holidays because when I was at uni I always like went to the Edinburgh Festival but yeah like I'd never done the girls holidays and the going traveling after uni because the thing about comedy is when you're starting you can't really stop like you can't really be like I'm just gonna take six months off to go traveling because when nobody knows who you are yet you've got to like you've got to keep the momentum going and if you as an unknown comic take six months off like I felt like I had to give up a lot to sort of 
try and climb the comedy ladder like when my friends were going traveling I was like oh well I want to go and do Edinburgh and like just I always had to sort of work jobs to save for me comedy rather than save to go traveling and then it was after I had the really good year in Edinburgh the debut yeah I started to get all these opportunities to like go to other countries yeah I remember like it just being so amazing because I thought well I've never got to do any of this traveling stuff at times I felt like I didn't get to be like a normal young lass because I was off doing all these weird things and gigging in pubs for like a tenner and I think within a year I went to India Istanbul Norway I think I went I went to Norway and then I went to Perth and Adelaide Melbourne and Sydney and Australia I went to New Zealand and I went to Canada all between like September 2017 and July 2018 and it was just amazing and by like India was the first one I went to six weeks after I came back from Edinburgh I remember getting off the plane in India and I was just like, this is the furthest from home I've ever been. I'd never been on a long haul flight. I didn't know how long the flight was to, I'd been, I'd been to Spain, which is like, what, two hours on a plane. I remember um, turning up at the airport with my suitcase and I was like, so is this going to be, you know, like four hour flight, like a five hour flight? And they were like, do you know what a long haul flight means? And I was like, yeah, like four or five hours. Because for me, two hours was like long enough on a plane. And they were like, oh, it's like a 10 hour flight. And I was like, like, what do we do for 10 hours on a plane? Um, but I remember like just stepping off the plane and being like, I am so, I'm a working class lass from like Newcastle and I'm still in India being paid to be there. And then same with Australia, like um, I would go on all these little, if I got a day off, I would go on like these little day trips to like the Great Ocean Road or like the Blue Mountains in Sydney. And people were like, yeah. God, you're not just want to like chill out in your hotel room. And I was like, I'm literally being paid to be here. If I get a day off, I'm going to like go bloody explore and go see things. I had the most, I never took a second of it for granted. I was like, I'm so lucky. Well, I was lucky, but also I knew I'd worked for it. I knew I deserved it. So it's that fine line of being like, yes, of course, I'm lucky to have these opportunities, but I didn't just get these opportunities because I'm lucky I got these opportunities that deserve it. And it's just a mad feeling to be, I remember it was Perth, I think. Yeah. And it was like February. It was probably about this time. I flew like really late January, early February. It was like 38 degrees and I'm gigging and like, shorts and basically like a swimming top because it's so hot and it's a Geordie I wasn't fucking used to that and I physically had to wear like a bikini top under like a really loose top on stage because I was like it's too warm <laughs> constantly <laughs> yeah, but, of course oh, yeah amazing and I remember feeling like yeah that was like the year where I thought oh it has been worth it like all these things I've missed out on and all these things I've not done so I can do comedy have sort of paid back in dividends because now I'm getting to do what I've always wanted to travel now I'm getting to travel the world, but travel the world doing what I love, which is amazing. But I did get fucking sick of aeroplane food that year. <laughs> I'm not surprised, yeah. <laughs> I was on. I was scared of flying before I went on all those trips. I was really scared of flying. By July, I was getting on the plane and being like, for God's sake, where are we going now? What are we doing? But, oh, it was wonderful, really. I remember saying at the time, like, if that was the end of my comedy career then, which <laughs> don't know by the pandemic, it still might be. But I was like, at least I've got that year of like experiences I could never have afforded by me. So I could never have afforded to do all that on my own. And comics I met, like meeting comics all around the world. And like, I remember it was my birthday this year. And obviously I had a lockdown birthday and I was feeling a bit glum. And it was that weird moment where across, I think it was like, even still the night before my birthday, I started getting messages from like New Zealand and Australia and from like comics and people I'd met over there and across the day just the amount of messages I got from all over the world I was like god you know what Lauren if this is the end of comedy for you 
look at the friends and the memories that you have made along the way like yeah. it was just this weird moment sat on my birthday feeling glum in lockdown being like god I know people everywhere now <laughs> <laughs> most recently you've been on uh stand up for live comedy that was on the BBC wasn't it I, yeah. I believe uh, tell me a bit about that what was that like it was that was terrifying that's got to do a couple of bits of telly sort of after that debut yeah the, the, the live at the comedy store that I mentioned and I did roast battle a few months after that and then I did nothing like absolutely nothing and you kind of feel a bit like oh well I thought I did well and the feedback was that I did well from like the people there and from the people who watch it on telly but it's the way that comedy is like sometimes everything happens for you and sometimes nothing so I was like well try not to take it too much to heart because it's a fickle industry and I know I did well and I'll just I'll just hope that these opportunities come around again because god I would hate it if that was the only bloody slice of the pie I was getting then a year passes and you think hmm don't really seem to be getting anything and then another year passed and by this point we were into a pandemic and I was like oh god I'll just have to like it wasn't a massive goal of mine to do telly anyway but I do know that doing telly opens doors it lets more people see you which will then if you're doing it too and more people are likely to come and it builds your social media following so it's a while it's not something I've like I didn't get into comedy to be on telly I know that if you want to progress being on telly fucking helps once we were in the pandemic, I was like, all right, well, I'm just going to have to accept that maybe telly isn't going to happen for me for a while. But at least that means when it does, God, I'll be such a good comic and I'll be ready for it. Match fit. Uh, and then I got booked for television during a pandemic when I hadn't gigged for six months. And I was like, who's ready to be on TV? <laughs> like, Oh, not me. So I think the obviously my last gig was like mid-March in Glasgow, Glasgow Comedy Fest was my last gig to about nine people in like the basement of a pub and I was like what pandemic we're not scared and then two days later we were put in the lockdown and I was like well okay um so I hadn't gigged like March, April, May, June, July apart from like some Zoom gigs Mm -hmm. and I was used to gigging like five six nights a week and then August rolled around and I got to do a few gigs over the summer but still not like a great deal Um, and I maybe did about half a dozen gigs and then a couple of days into September I got a phone call it was my agent and she was like oh have you seen that they're doing this new BBC show stand up for live comedy. Mm-hmm. Now I knew the London one had already filmed a few days ago, which is why I assumed I hadn't been booked for it. I was like, well, if it started filming, the boxy picked the lineup, so I wasn't on it. Okay, pick the tin up. Like, again, maybe the next one's going to be yours. You've just got to cross your finger, sort of thing. Went, well, the one I have you on it, can you get to Belfast on Wednesday? Wow, fantastic. And this was the Monday, and I was thinking, oh my God, like this is. I don't want to slag off telly in case there's anyone listening, but I think sometimes telly people forget that you have a life. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and you can't, like, a lot of things in television are part of the reason I moved to London. I would get phone calls when I lived in Newcastle. Can you come try out for this show? It's tomorrow. And I was like, but if you told me last week I could have booked it in the train, would have been cheaper. So it's just the way it is. A lot of things are last minute. And I looked and there was no flights to Belfast from Newcastle on the Wednesday. I was gutted. I thought, how else can I get to Belfast? And then she said, don't worry, they're doing one in Bristol on the Friday. See if I can get you on it. And like, I didn't sleep that night because I thought I have said for the last two years, oh, eventually something will come around that will be right for you. And you know, when it's your time, it's your time. I thought, finally, it was literally almost two years to the day because I was brought back in the October. I thought it's taken two years for me to get another TV opportunity. And I now might not get it. And I was devastated. I was like thinking, please, please get it. And then I got the phone call the next day. Yeah, they can have you on Bristol, no problem. But obviously by this point, I was working back in a day job because of the pandemic. Yeah, of course. So I had to go into work and be like, I cannot come to work on Friday and you cannot ask why. (laughs) (laughs) 
because the last thing I wanted to do is be like, I'm filming some telly and then get cooked because they would have been like, well, that's a lie. And I was so nervous because as well, obviously by, so I knew I was doing it on the Tuesday and it was filming on Friday. And usually if you get booked for a bit of telly, even if you got booked with that short notice, you would think, right, I'm going to hop to the stand tonight and say, can I do 10 minutes tonight? Can I come down again tomorrow and do 10 minutes? Can I come down and do 10 minutes every night to practice me sets? And when I did live at the comedy store, that's what I did in London. Like the few days before it filmed, I went and like jumped on a couple of open mic gigs and like went to Top Secret and tried the set I was going to do. Couldn't do that because no gigs happening. Everywhere was shut. Like there was a pandemic and I thought, oh my God, not only have I been booked so last minute, not only have I barely gigged in the last six months, I can't practice this set in the next 48 hours. And when you do telly, you have to like send the effect in full, you know, you have to like write it out so they can go through and be like, you can't say it, cunt. And I'm like, no, oh, damn it. Um, <laughs> Spoil so I'd like written it all out in full and I'd like stayed up all night, like, like pouring over it, being like, this needs to be a shit hot set. Because I've been telling myself, when you get to do telly next, Lauren, that means, you know, it's your time, you're ready. And you happen to have been booked during the pandemic. So you have to prove you're ready, like, just because you haven't been gigging. So I, thought, I wrote this set out and I was like, this is a, like, this is a good set. It was stuff that I was like been planning on doing in Edinburgh that year, but obviously Edinburgh got cancelled. And then like um, a couple of bits I'd sort of already been working on. A couple of bits were like much newer and were kind of going to be in the Edinburgh show. And then a couple of bits were bits I'd been doing on the circuit for a little while anyway. And I remember I had it printed out and my friend drove us to Bristol because I didn't want to be on a train like for that long with a mask. So he like drove us down to Bristol and I was just sat in the car like reading it and reading it and reading it and like I woke up and stayed somewhere else before we like split the drive up and drove to Nottingham so I could finish the drive to Bristol the next day and I just felt sick and then he went to do a bit shopping while I like got ready and I'm sort of like because as well oh no hair and makeup when there's a pandemic and that's the thing that was stressing us out the most I was like oh my god the perk of doing telly is someone makes you look like a goddess <laughs> And you wear the makeup for as long as possible. <laughs> exactly. I was like, oh, I'm going on national TV and I could potentially look like a potato. This isn't what I want. And I thought, oh, like, at least if you sort of do a shift set on telly, it can be like, at least my eyebrows look good, but my eyebrows might look shit. So I'm in the like mirror in the hotel trying to get, because they said, like, arrive camera ready, trying to like, get me makeup, like, spot on, trying to do my hair, but then also trying to learn this set. And I just thought, I am just sweating from every pore of my body right now. I turned up to the venue, I was so, so nervous. Um, and I spent all night just like, I felt like my heart was just going to pound out my chest. And I even said, I want to do their acts. Like, one, I've not done much telly. I went, but also I've not done any telly in two years. And I've been telling myself that when I get my next telly job, I'm going to really show people what I can do. Yeah. I went and it just happens to have happened at a time when a lot of people have lost confidence in what they can do. But we were so lucky. I did the Bristol one. We had Mark Oliver as the warm-up. He does the warm-up for everything, and he's incredible. He had the crowd, like, in the palm of his hand. The audience were perfect. They were up for it. They wanted, because a lot of these things as well, people come because it's free, and then they sit there, like, arms crossed, puppy, and you think, well, why did you come? And I sometimes think when you watch, like, when I did Just for Laughs in Canada, I did a TV thing there, which only sort of went out in Canada, and I had a very difficult crowd. We watched, like, I think there was one show, say, filming at 7, one filming at 10, and we were, like, the 10 o'clock in the evening one. So already later, like, it was probably going to be tougher. The 7 o'clock crowd were amazing, and we were all like, oh, this is going to be so good. 
And I walked out on stage and just felt like every person in that room hated us. But not, it wasn't like I just had a bad one. They were just really, even for like, um, Catherine was hosting. And I thought they're even being like flat with Catherine to the point where at the end, Catherine had to come out and be like, we just need to do some pickups. So all I'm going to do is I'm going to say some phrases and you just need to like clap throughout. And the things that she was saying were things like, give it up for, welcome to the stage. What? So that proves how flat they had been, that they were having to do pickups to actually get some fucking noise in the room because even when she was like even when acts were coming on and coming off they were so lackluster so that's what i was worried about the bristol thing but the crowd yeah. were up for it all the production team just cared about it being a good show i had to um, redo a couple of my sort of lines because it was filmed outside obviously pandemic um a car kept going past and they were so patient with it and i was thinking oh god they're gonna hate me and they were like you can't help that a car has driven past and they were patient and like let us look at my script again so I could know where I was. And um, Mark, who was doing the warm-up, went, this is absolutely going to be episode one. Like, this has been such a lovely... All the acts smashed it. There was so much love in the room. And he went, I bet you this ends up being episode one. And surely enough, even when we were like, the second or third one to film, our episode was episode one. And it, I just feel so lucky that I got to do that episode because it made it just so nice. Like, so... the. The crowd didn't want you to fail. Like they all knew. I think Jade Adams was MC and ours, and I think she said, you know, some of these acts literally have not gigged since March, and so the crowd were dead understanding and really lovely, really lovely gig. I got very drunk on taxpayers' wine after. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, perk of the job. <laughs> what's next for you, Lauren? Let's say pandemic ends tomorrow. What's next for you? I'm for the first time writing a little monologue for the theatre, which is exciting. Like um, Alphabetic Theatre in Newcastle, they've like commissioned me to write like a, a monologue, like set in an empty theatre. And I'm kind of of the mindset at the minute of like, say yes, like just give it a go. Um, so that's exciting. And I would, like, if the pandemic was over tomorrow, uh, that's something I would want to do more of. I want to explore writing a bit more and pushing myself in that way. And um, so that would be good. And I'd like to, the show that never was. <laughs> yeah, of course. So <laughs> that was six previews into my Edinburgh show last year. I was off the mark early again. I was like, going to show the industry what I can do. Um, so that show kind of obviously never materialised. Um, and I thought, oh, it'll happen for 2021. But looking like it might not either. But I, I really miss like writing a show and doing a show. And I think my, I know a lot of people are like, I miss gigging. I do miss gigging. But I'm a tension seeker and I miss my own shows a lot more. I think that's kind of what I want to prioritise when things can happen again. I'm like, I want to, as soon as I can, do an hour. Do an hour show and get back in front of like, really lovely support of crowds which would be nice a dream <laughs> absolutely absolutely lauren i've got one final question for you who of your celebrity showbiz friends would you like to see on this podcast oh i would like to see oh you know who i think is great chris ramsey like he's one of these people who i saw him when i was about 17 or something at my Live theatre was where I did my youth theatre. And I went to see him because, not because of him, no offence, Chris, but I think he might have been on with like, doing like a double header. And it was the per other person he was on with who I really wanted to see. And I kind of didn't know who Chris Ramsey was. This was like, again, before Chris was as big as we're talking like literally 10, 11 years ago. 
and I thought he's and I've even got like a screenshot of a Facebook status from like 2010 or 11 or whatever and I'm like I went to see this comic tonight called Chris Ramsey and he's gonna be massive and like every now and then obviously every year it'll come up on me memories and I'm like I said I said and I would go and see all of his shows with my mom and had wait a week behind after to meet him because I was like a little comedy fan and then when I did Latitude Festival I did the main stage on my third time being there like the main big comedy stage and I think Chris was on after me and then when I came off he was at the side and he was like well done mate well done like I'm so proud and I think Jade Adams again had been emceeing that and she said when I was on stage he'd made some comment like she used to come see my shows and say she wanted to do comedy and like and look at that look at that she's doing it she's up there and I thought hey, how nice is that at one he remembers I was the nerdy little comedy fan who came to his shows but that someone then gets on board and backs you and every time I've picked them since he's been very genuine and very lovely and I think he'd be a good a good chat right well Chris Ramsey is on the list Lauren thank you so so much for coming onto the podcast thank you <laughs> The Cal Halbert Podcast. There we go. That was my interview with the fabulous Lauren Patterson. I hope you enjoyed it. She's dead funny, isn't she? If you did enjoy it, please, please, please share it with all your friends and don't forget to subscribe so you never miss a future episode. If you can, please give us five stars. It really helps us out and it helps other people find the podcast. But until next week, goodbye. The Cal Halbert Podcast. You've been listening to a Calvert Media production.